0: it is my privilege to introduce today's speaker. We've had Lewis and Chung Urban coming all the way up from Tennessee. We got to hear Chung preach last week, and uh, this week... (laughs) I tease. Uh, This week, uh, Lewis is going to be coming to share from us in God's word. And and if you haven't been with us, we have been candidating for a family pastor. The Urbans have been up this week doing that. Um, And basically the role that we're looking for, and we'll talk about this more at the Mother's Day uh, slash urban meet and greet lunch uh, this afternoon. But the heart of the family pastor is someone who loves Jesus and loves uh, making disciples of families. And uh, the the main oversight. This would not be getting rid of our children's coordinator position that Janelle's currently in, or our youth director or youth intern positions. But this would be somebody who would be overseeing, kind of administrating the children's and the teenager uh, kind of demographics in our church and the ministries there. And one of the real hearts behind this role would be somebody who would be able to counsel and mentor and disciple coming alongside families, in particular um, the the parents in our church uh, who who. Uh, um... And we've said to kind of counterbalance this young single guy uh, who's in the office all week to look for someone who has more life experience. And Lewis and Chung definitely have that. And this week it's been a privilege to get to know them and their heart. They have two kids who are grown and um, have graduated high school. So they've walked the road of parenting from cradle to college and uh, be able to come alongside uh, people to be able to encourage them. It's been a great privilege to get to know them. Suffered for Jesus out on the Resurrection Bay on Friday uh, on the Kenai Fjords. Uh, trials, consider it pure joy, uh, but anyhow, uh, Lewis is going to come and share it with us today, uh, this role would also be somebody who would occasionally be uh, filling the pulpit, especially when PJ needs a break, so uh, we look forward to that as well, but uh, if you would with me, give a warm peninsula grace, welcome to Lewis Urban. Let me
1: start out with this, just, I just want to say thank you. You know, uh, Chungwa and I, we came up, like I said, uh, from Tennessee, and the process has been great. You know, we've talked on the phone, we've Skyped, uh, we've had phone conversations, and then to be able to come up here and have the, the entire week with everybody, it has been, it's been a ball. It's been great. So our prayer is that no matter what happens, God's will is done and you get the right person up here, whether it's uh, Chungwa and myself or you get somebody else. We pray that this church continuously grows continuously has the love of Christ and is continually successful. I mean, I can't complain. Uh, Justin is doing an awesome job from what I can see. The elders, the way they're running everything here is fantastic. And just the programs that you guys seem to have seems to be running so good. And we came in here, and from the moment we arrived, we felt like we were at home. I mean, Ellen and Petra showed up at the airport, welcomed us, and I mean, I've even got their house key and their car key. I mean, and I didn't even make a copy of it, so I mean, yeah. But it has been good. Um, so if you would, just, uh, we're going to go into the book of uh, Luke, chapter 24. And before I open that up, I would like to go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Gracious Father, I do so much thank you for the privilege to be able to be here, to be able to share your word with these wonderful people here today. I would ask that your spirit would continually reside upon them, that this church would continuously blossom, that it would continually be the light that you desire to be, to be able to see people come to a saving knowledge of who you are, Lord. We thank you for that, and I thank you for this privilege to be able to be here with all these folks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Luke chapter 24, at the end, we have this passage with two disciples that are walking down this road, the Emmaus Road. And when you read this, my first question, my first thought was, who are these disciples? Well, you go down to verse 18, and it says, Cleopas... So we know the name of one right there is Cleopas. Okay, so we got this one individual, and some individuals think that the other disciple is Luke. And I can see how that could be, but I don't think that's who it was. Because if you turn to the book of John, don't turn over there, you just write this down, or if you want to, you can turn. John chapter 19, verse 25, it talks about this woman named Mary and Cleopas, the wife of Cleopas, was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. Now, I can't prove this, but it is my opinion, my speculation, that Cleopas is a good possibility of having been the brother of Joseph. So he's related. He's Jesus' uncle. And so when we come to these two disciples that are walking, I think that it was Cleopas and his wife that are walking down this road. They were were in Jerusalem. They are heading home, getting ready to go back. And Jesus comes along beside them and talking, and we have this whole discussion that takes place. But I want you to think about that for just a moment. Jesus is crucified, rises again. The first two people he talk to are women. Then he sees Peter. Then he sees these two disciples, one of them possibly being a woman. The first three out of five individuals that Jesus talks to are females. You know, a lot of individuals in the world try to say that Christians belittle women Tear down women, suppress women, that whole aspect of uh, submission and everything else. What's the last thing that God created? Women. The pinnacle of His creation. And I think that is awesome. We got Mother's Day today, and Mom, if you listen to this later on, happy Mother's Day. To everybody that's in here, happy Mother's Day. And say happy Mother's Day to your mom, whether she's here or not, and if she's already passed on, as I know many have, to be able pray to God to be able to think that you had a mom. But with that said, also, Easter's shortly passed, isn't it? Christmas. We look forward to Christmas. I think every single day of the year should be Christmas. Every single day of the year should be Mother's Day. It should be Easter, and especially Father's Day. We get overlooked so much, I mean... (laughs) So take some time to be thankful to the folks that are in your life, your mom, your dad, your siblings, your friends, because that's what's truly important, not how much stuff we collect and everything else, but those relationships. Now when I read through this passage here in the book of Luke, chapter 24, basically verse 13 through 35, there's some questions that I had to ask myself over that time, and I've struggled with myself, and I want to present those questions to you today for you to be able to struggle and chew on them a little bit yourself. Down in verse 15 here. It says, It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Are you willing to meet new people? Are you willing to meet new people? And not to change them, but to meet them where they're at. How many times have you met somebody who said, uh, come on into church. Well, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll come after I quit smoking. or I got to quit drinking first. Or I got to quit using this bad language. Or maybe it's, I got to quit murdering so many people, then I'll show up to church. Hopefully not the last one, but who knows? There, I mean, there's some people out there that have some strange stuff sometimes. But you got to meet them where they're at. Right where they're at, with all the troubles and baggage and everything else. Because when you go to the hospital, who do you see in the hospital? You see doctors, right? But you see who? You see sick people. When you come to church, there's supposed to be sick people. We come together for the healing that we need. And there's a whole bunch of sick people outside that need to come to the hospital, need to be encouraged, need to hear the truth. So are you willing to meet new people? And you say, well, I'm not a people person. You know, to get out and intermingle with folks. You know, Moses tried that excuse. If you look in Genesis chapter 3, he came up with some of this. He said, verse 11 says, what am I? I'm unfit. I can't do that. Uh Uh-uh, no way. And in verse 13, he says, who am I? He said, I'm uneducated. I didn't go to seminary. I haven't studied the Bible completely. I don't know that there's 66 books in the Bible or how many authors there were or anything else. How am I going to talk to these folks? And then in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, I'm slow of speech. Get tongue tied. Trying to remember the vocabulary. Trying to remember all those theological words. How am I going to throw out hypostatic union or justification or sanctification? And how do I explain that to somebody? I won't be able to do it. So, no, no, God, I don't want to do it. Eventually, he even comes up and says, God, just send somebody else. And God says, No, you're going. I'll send Aaron with you to help, but you're going. Jonah tried running. He jumped on a boat. Ended up being swallowed by a nice big fish and still ended up going where you're supposed to go. If God's telling you to go, don't fight it. Don't argue with him. You're going to lose the battle. I'll tell you that now. You will lose. Just go ahead and do what God tells you to do. It's so much easier than being swallowed up by a fish. Yeah. I've never been swallowed up by a fish, but I'm, I'm trying to avoid that, too. You know... You say, I'm not a people person. I remember when I was in high school. I'd have two friends. I was good to go. A third friend would show up. I went the other direction. That was starting to become too large of a crowd. I said, uh no, thank you. I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I decided to run for an office when I was in high school. And I had my speech written up, and I... Practice it and practice. it. I stood in the mirror. I even tried out before my parents. I said, I'm ready for this. And I stood up and I saw my classmates. And this is what I said. Elephant's good remembrance. Vote me. And I sat down. After I sat down, I said, what? And what was that? That was not my speech. That was not a five-minute speech. That wasn't even 30 seconds. I ended up winning the situation and held that office for a while. It wasn't because of that speech, that's for sure. Romans 10:14 says, "How can they call on him unless you go?" And you tell them, "How can they call on him unless I go?" And I tell them, "How can they know about Jesus unless we are willing to go and talk to them where they're at? To be able to get to know them, to intermingle with them, to see them where they're at with everything that they got going on, and get to know them, even if you say I'm not a people person, use tracks, and use them carefully, use as cautiously. So there's some tracks that when I was younger, I wish I wouldn't have used. That's true. So read them over, and when you go in the grocery store, give somebody a track. Hey, how you doing? Or leave it in the bathroom when nobody even knows that you're the one that left it. You know, do stuff to. Reach the world, though. Go to where the people are. Make a difference. Matthew 28 says what? Go to the world and make what? Make friends, right? No, it doesn't say that. It says make disciples. Make disciples, not friends. It's great if your disciples become friends, but to make disciples, to see people, individuals, come to who know who Jesus Christ is. It's not that we have to go out and become best friends with everybody. You know, we have our likes and our dislikes, but to be able to go out there and have an impact. Now, I found that there's an exception to this policy. I found this out this week. Every day you should be learning something. Well, I learned a lot of stuff this week, and this is one of the things that I learned, this quote that I'm going to tell you here, that it isn't always true. But the majority of the time, it is. And it's, if two men own a boat, it will never float. I found out that's not always true because there's... An individual in here, I know that the two of them own a boat, and it is floating. I was on it, so I know it, it still works. But uh, <clears throat> what that means is if you're sitting there in that seat and you say, well, this is Pastor Justin's boat, he's going to go out and do the work. I don't have to witness. Guess what? People aren't being reached. And if Pastor Justin or the elders are saying, no, no, I'm the one up here. We're the ones that lead in the church. It's the congregation. It's their responsibility to go out and make with disciples. Guess what? People aren't coming to the saving knowledge of who God is. You have to say, this is my boat, not somebody else's. Are you claiming it? Is is this your boat? I sure hope it is. Is it your responsibility? Yeah. Go out there, make disciples, talk to people. Are you willing to get out there and rub elbows to meet new people? It's not always the easiest thing, especially some of these folks that you see and say, man, that person looks weird. You know? Go talk to them. And it was in one of Justin's messages before, talking about directions and following the instructions on something or putting things together. And guys never get lost, do they, when you're driving? You, actually, you always know where you're at, don't you? Right? I know I always do. And, of course, when I'm lost, my wife realized that I'm lost because we drove around the block the same time, or... About five times the same block, she finally says, "You need to ask somebody direction. You see that guy over there? Go ask him." I said, "That guy, you know, with the long hair and he's got the machete down to his knees. Okay, fine, I'm going to go ask him. When He kills me. Don't blame me. It's not my fault. Can I find out, great guy. knew exactly where we need to go., Just, "Man, get in the car and we're driving where we're supposed to go to now. We're not around the same block anymore. But go meet new people. Then, as you go and you do this, though, Verse 16 says, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. That they should not know him. When you go out there, guess what? You're going to share those tracks. You're going to share the gospel message. You're going to talk to people. And they're going to say, no, thank you. That'll be if they say it nicely. Some might do much more. You're going to be rejected. work in a prison right now, and we would go through, and especially in the restrictive housing, they call it restrictive housing because it's more politically correct instead of segregation, and we put the flyers underneath their door so they got some daily breads and things like that to read, and this one youngster, I don't know what all he went through or what he was doing, but all his stuff came flying back out underneath his door, all ripped up, from the upper deck and I was down below and he's standing in the door, in his window and he just had this glare, like he wanted to kill me. I kid you not, it took everything inside of me not to do one of these numbers. You know, what's this uh, that, that cartoon from years ago? Come on, come on, put him up, come on. I said, no, I'm not going to taunt him because of course he's on the other side of the glass so I knew he couldn't get to me. It would have been completely different if that glass door wasn't there. I was like, uh-uh, I'm not, not going to mess with him. But you're going to be rejected. It's going to happen. John chapter 15, verse 8 says, if the world hates you, guess what? They hated me first. They're going to hate you. They're going to despise you. They're going to say, you're one of those Jesus freaks. You're one of those weirdos. You're one of those people that read the Bible. How can you believe the Bible? I don't know what else I would believe. You know, for an individual not to believe in Jesus... To believe in the world system, that takes some strength. That takes some awesome faith, actually. Some foolish faith. But it takes a large faith to be able to believe that. He says the world is going to hate you. Nobody wants to be disliked. We all want people to like us, don't we? And we find out that somebody doesn't, sort of, well, what did I do wrong? What did I say wrong? But you know what? The older I get, except there's only two people that really care what they think. What God thinks, am I doing what he wants me to do? Most importantly, are you doing what God wants you to do? And then the other one is trying to make sure that my wife is happy with what I'm doing. Other than that, you know, my kids don't like it? Eh, tough luck, you know? They don't live in my house anymore. <laughs> Duck with water off your back. What people think about? On them. You know, the world going to hate you. Matthew 10, verse 14 says, whosoever doesn't receive you, it's not receiving me, just dust your shoes off and keep going. You go down and you talk to folks and you share the message and you pray that the spirit works inside of them. Now, Charles Spurgeon put it this way once in the aspect of predestination because we're predestined, but we also have free will. He says, I don't know what that is. And that's a whole other Bible study down the road, okay? We're not going to get into all that, what, how you define all that. But the aspect, he said, it would be awesome if God painted a yellow stripe down everybody's back for those that are predestined. Then I could walk down the street and lift up the to- ca- coat tail. Okay, they got the yellow stripe. I don't know why he chose yellow either. It was not green or blue, but it was a yellow stripe. And so they're predestined. So that's who I'm going to start preaching to, start talking to, because I know their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He says, I don't know that. So in the meantime, I use the shotgun, and I talk to everybody. And the ones that are predestined are going to come to that knowledge of who Jesus is. But it takes us, willingly, to go out there and share that message so they can know that. And when you do this... You don't have to fight about it. You don't have to get in arguments about it. You don't have to be mean about it because that's going to be just counterproductive. When I was going through my CPE, clinical pastoral education, one of the responsibilities I had, I was assigned different floors in the hospital. And I had to go from room to room to room and say, hey, how you doing? Hey, this my name, I'm so-and-so, I'm just here, just come by, see how you're going, see if there's anything you need, are the nurses taking care of you, how's the food, you know, you, you, you you like your stay in the luxury hotel that you're in right now, you know, all that wonderful stuff. Well, I went in this one room, and there was a guy that was sleeping in bed, and his wife was sitting there. And I sat there, and I was talking with her for a while. Well, he woke up. So who are you? Are you a doctor? And we, they made us wear these lab coats, just like the doctor. So always got confused as being a doctor. Hey, doc, I need this. I No, no I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm the chaplain, okay? You need to talk to your doctor about that. But he saw me, and he asked me who I was. I said, I'm the chaplain. He said, you're the cha- Get the, out of my room. I don't want to. Oh, okay, fine. And I left, right? Had to make rounds every day. I go into this one room, and guess who was there? I how are you doing? Of course, the wonderful language, didn't I tell you not to come into my room? And I could have closed the door. Well, look, we're going to have this conversation one way or the other. No. I said, I'm sorry. I did not realize that he moved you to a new room. Have a great day. And closed the door and went to the next room. And you know, there was a part of me that said, I am going to get that guy. I am going to convince him that this is what he needs. It wouldn't have done it, though. All that would have done was dressed me out that much more and made him angry and probably would have got me kicked out of the hospital because he would have said, hey, there's this chaplain that just won't leave my room and would have had all sorts of complaints. There's a saying, you can win the battle and lose the war. You win that argument you know, because you go out there and you start talking to folks and you talk to them about Jesus and then they're going to get into this discussion about, well, when do you think the rapture is going to happen? Is it going to be... Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. And whichever view you take, you take pre-trib. No, no, I, I don't think that, I think it's going to... And you end up having this long discussion, long argument, and you walk away and say, yes, I won that argument. Have they accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior? No. All these wonderful rabbit trails that they're going to try to take you down and you're going to be off topic. Are you willing to be rejected when you go out there and you start sharing with the folks that are out there, the truth, because they need to hear the truth. There are so many people that are lost going over that cliff. It's our job to have an impact on their life. Thirdly, verse 17. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one another as ye walk and are sad? Are you willing to ask the tough questions? Are you willing to ask the tough questions? What's your motivation? How do you do it? How do you judge people? And don't say you don't judge people, because I know what you do. The number one verse quoted by the world today is what? Matthew 7.1. Even though they maybe don't even know where it's comes from they said don't judge you can't judge me but the problem is they know never go to 7-2 because what 7-2 says for with what judgment you do judge expect to be judged he doesn't say we're not supposed to judge but it's how you judge what is your motivation behind that judgment you know we my wife Chungwa and I are here that's part of the process seeing if we fit in and vice versa you guys looking at us and the question do we fit in is it a good fit Nobody goes to the grocery store and comes up to the fruit bin and you close your eyes and you reach in, okay, this one, perfect, that's the apple, no, you sit and you look, okay, which one do I want, and you look, oh, that's the one, the one with the worm, that's the apple that I want to eat, no, you don't eat the apple with the worm, that's the one you throw away, common sense, some of us have more common sense than others but what's the motivation? And when you look at somebody, where are they physically? Where are they at mentally? Where are they at spiritually? Because you get up and you see somebody and they're cranky, they're on the bad side. Maybe they just had an argument with their wife or their kid is sick or uh, their dog just died. Who knows? Why they're acting or responding the way that they are be able to take that step back and even when you're confronted to be able to say okay, not so much that you're being confronted, but what they're saying, is it true or not? What's the motivation behind it? What's your motivation? Is it to tear somebody down? Or is it to help lift them up? To encourage them? To help them become a better person? And I pray that it's the second that you're trying to lift somebody up and encourage them. That try to help move individuals to saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And ask people, say, how are you doing today? And there's the problem, though. We go out, right, and we say, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Great to see you. Nice to see you. Oh, great, wonderful. And they come by right here. and say, I'm not doing too good. I'm sort of feeling down. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling whatever. Oh, good. I feel so sad. Well, best of luck. I hope that works out for you. And we do that, don't we? We get in a habit, we get in a routine to just be so busy that we don't really have that time that we're willing to stop. And if that's the case, just say hi. Don't say, How's it going? Because if you say, how's it going, that now opens up communication that you need to be willing to take. But you have to ask yourself, I'm off in a hurry, I'm rushing. How important is that compared to taking that time and hearing what's being said? Because if I walk by and somebody says, I'm not doing too good, I should be wondering, whoa, wait a moment, what's going on? And I do that all the time in the prison I'm in. Of course, those guys aren't going anywhere. But more than once, I was salary in the the facility. They have just recently changed me to hourly, these cutbacks that are being made. And they said, now make sure that you don't work 40 hours. Do everything you're supposed to do. Do all the jobs, fill out reports, do all the paperwork, make sure everything's done, but don't work 40 hours. Over that 40 hours. You know how many times I've been walking out the door and one of the guys say, hey, chaps, you know what I do? Uh, Well, I'm going over 40 hours because that's what they hired me for. And irrelevant, that's what I'm there for, to be able to try to minister to those guys as much as possible. Because I go in that prison and there's some guys that you need to throw away the key. Keep them in there. Yeah. But then there's plenty of guys that they have made some stupid mistakes and we've all made stupid mistakes and each and every one of us could be just a moment away from being in a location like that for doing something dumb. And I can see the growth and I can see the changes taking place and it's my prayer to be able to be in their life, to minister to them, to see them be able to get back out, to get back with their families and have productive lives We're all basically in a prison on a death sentence notice because each and every one of us, the moment we're born, are heading towards what? Death. We're all going to die. The question is, where are we going to go after we do? Are we preparing people for that day? Because no matter how hard you try, no matter how healthy you eat, no matter how much Exercise you do, no matter how much sleep that you get, no matter how much praying you do, no matter how many times you go to church, guess what? You're going to die someday. It's going to happen. We will walk through that door. And are we helping people to get ready for that day? So when you ask people, said, How are you doing? And somebody says, I'm not doing good. Ask them, are you thinking of hurting yourself? And some people say, no, you can't do that. Because if you ask somebody if they're suicidal, then they're going to think about committing suicide. Well, if they're already thinking about suicide, you asking them if they're thinking about suicide isn't going to make them think about suicide. They're already there. But when they hear it, said, yeah, that is how I'm feeling. And to be able to get into their life and say, hey, there's other things to do, there's other ways, there's, there's help that is there. And as you go down and say, "Hey, how you doing?" Small things. I see you drink coffee. What what flavor of coffee do you like? What do you like? Oh, good. You know, do, where do you live? Oh, yeah, so the, do, do you go to church there? Yeah. Oh, you, that's awesome. Are you Christian? Great. Okay, let's have a no, no. Beyond Christian, it's easy to say I'm a Christian, but take it beyond that, because that's where I was. My mom was talking about being saved. I said, That's awesome, huh? I thought maybe she joined some sort of cult or something. I said, I don't know about this. Her pastor came over shortly after I joined the army. I was home on leave. He said, Are you a Christian? Are you saved? I said, Yeah. How do you know? I mean, how I know? Come on. I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. I'm in the youth group. I'm in the. uh, uh, handbell choir group I, I not Not the choir, just the handbell no singing loud <laughs> not by works of righteousness but by the grace of God are you saved so many individuals say, so I'm a Christian because I was baptized as an infant I'm a Christian because my dad was a pastor I'm a Christian because I was born in America that doesn't make a person a Christian there's only one thing Accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he died for my sins, he has forgiven me for my sins, he rose again and can cleanse me of all those sins, if I'm willing to accept him. But I have to be willing to accept it. If I was sitting up here and we had one of those questions, if money was not an issue, what would you do with your life? Where would you go? What would you want to do? If I could say, if money was not an issue, here it is, and you can do it, it's not yours till you take it, though, is it? You have to take it. And Jesus sits there and says, here it is, the gift of eternal life. I give it to you. Most expensive gift ever. But so many people sit there, eh, I don't know. I'm not sure. And why? Because we're conditioned that there is absolutely nothing free in our society anymore today, don't we? I know. I phone solicitor calls up. You want a free cruise? Okay. What's the bottom line? How much does it really cost? Because I know there's some sort of bill or something attached to it. When I was out in California, my individuals that worked for me as a chaplain in the Navy, we decided we were going to do something for our community, and we took a flight. Uh, a, A verse from psalms taste the flavor of the lord free ice cream and we stood outside of the base exchange and we had that up there and we had ice cream cones and vanilla chocolate and strawberry ice cream and people would come up and they read the sign look at it and and keep walking others would come up said "Uh, how much is that it's free uh, okay and they keep walking or they said well well, what's wrong with it there's nothing wrong with it it's just good free ice cream you want a scoop? Well, okay. And we give them we say, what do you want? Vanilla, no chocolate, or strawberry. You know? And give them the ice cream home and said, Are you sure there's no fee? He said, No. Well, can I make a donation? I said, No, you can't. It's free, absolutely free. Nothing today. You just take it, eat it, enjoy it. If you want, you can come to the chapel service on Sunday. But you cannot give us any money, nothing. And people had the hardest time. And that's just with ice cream. So when you go out and you say, I've got the gift of eternal life that you never have to die, that you can live forever. They're going to say, oh, oh, wait a moment. I I don't know if I like that idea. What's really involved with this? What's the trickery? What's it cost me? It costs you surrendering your life over to Jesus Christ, making him Lord. And said, well, I don't want him controlling my life. You know, somebody's controlling your life anyhow. When I was a youngster, you wanted to turn 16. Get the driver's license, right? I wanted to turn 18. Get out of the house. Not that home was bad. I just wanted to get out of the world. I wanted to turn 21. Legal age, do what you want to do. Go where you want to go. Nobody can tell you anything. I was in the Army at the time. I had Uncle Sam tell me what to do. Then I got married. I still have somebody telling me what to do. We had a couple businesses that we ran. And you know what? There was still somebody telling us what to do. So, hey, guess what? You're going to file your taxes, or else the IRS is going to knock on your door. There's always going to be somebody telling you what to do. Why not make it Jesus Christ who wants to do the best for you, anyhow, rather than the devil? Because he's going to say, oh, yeah, this is what you want to do. Isn't that fun? And then you wake up the next day and you say, oh, no, that wasn't so fun. But, you know, you do it again, don't you? You know, go to foreign ports with the military. And I tell the guys, I said, stay away from the bars, stay away from the strip clubs. Go do the MWR tours, do the Comrail projects, get to know the people, the food sites, everything else. I said, what, what happens in the military? Or in a lot of societies. Friday rolls around and what? Go out... And you get drunk, right? And they're worshiping the porcelain god. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm never doing this again. And then they're right back out there again the next week. I said, what in the world are you doing? And they want to buy that nice house or the nice boat or something else. But you know, they can't because they flushed it down the commode the night before. Instead of being wise with those funds. And saving up for the future instead use apologetics and we got some of those classes that are gonna be starting up by understanding here the apologetics but if you go to the world and say hey you need a relationship with Jesus Christ well, that's written by man what do you do when you're confronting the world and they don't believe in this book you need some tools in your toolbox how do you argue against the falsehoods the lies of the world, of evolution, and all this other stuff. And I tell you, there is a lot of information, a lot of facts, a lot of stuff that you can present to them without even using Scripture number one to show them that when they say they believe in science, they don't believe in science. They believe in a falsehood that's been told to them by the system. Because when you use true science, true science points to a Savior. True science points to God. True science points to a creator. And there's plenty of tools that are out there that I'm I'm glad to hear that those classes are going to be starting up in here to be able to throw some of that stuff in your toolbox. And you go out there and you're talking with folks and they come up and they have a question that you don't know the answer to. That's what freezes up a lot of times, isn't it? Because we got lunch here pretty soon. And the Q&A time, and I'm not going to mention who, but she's asked me. and said, are you ready for that? I said, I don't know. I sure hope so. But then you get that question. Um, she'll answer that. So if I don't answer, you know why. <coughs> when somebody asks you a question you don't have the answer, you tell them, I don't know. You don't have to have all the answers. But you say, you know what? I'll find out come talk to Pastor Justin, talk to the elder board, and if it takes some research, those guys will find it. And if they can't find it, it doesn't need to be known. There you go. So hey, you don't need to know that. Forget about it. Move on. And we see the results of this. Down in verse 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened up the scripture to us. Do your hearts burn? Are you on fire for Jesus? I mean, truly on fire. Do you say, he is my Lord and Savior? He is my King of kings. He is my all. And knowing that you have a responsibility then, to go talk to new people. There's so many people, even here, even as small as the area is compared to the lower 48s, the population is a lot less up here, isn't it? But you know what? The percentage of people that are in here versus the percentage outside, there's a lot more outside that still need to hear the truth. Does your heart burn or are you want to take that message to them? And when you do, to know that you're going to be rejected more times than you... You're going to be accepted. But that's okay. Because when they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. And you say, I'm going to pray for them, I'm going to love them, and I'm going to move on and talk to the next person. Scripture says every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so much better for them to accept and to be able to say that and to have eternity future than an eternal death. I would not wish that on my worst enemy. You know, thankfully, I don't have a lot of enemies. But there's those occasions that do arise. I pray for them. Because when I think about eternity, that puts fear in me to think about them, of what they're going to be going through. We have a responsibility to try to reach out. The disciples were on the road. Jesus met them. My wife and I have been on the road a lot. Each and every one of us here today, though, are still on the road. Until we cross over and still we're standing before God, we are on the road. This is not home. As beautiful as Alaska is, we've been able to see these scenes and the, 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 the terrain and everything. And I, if anybody wants to see a picture of a moose later on, just come up and let me know because we've got lots of pictures. I can show you what a moose looks like. This isn't home, though. Heaven is home. There's one disclaimer, and then I'm finished. It's been said that war is hell. I know firsthand experience. When you're in a combat situation, you're going to see things. You're going to hear things. You're going to smell things that are going to give you nightmares for the rest of your life. I wish there were things that I could take out of my mind that I didn't see. But they're there. It was probably one of the hardest times of my life, but also in some ways one of the best times. Not because I wanted to be there, but because of the ministry that was there. To be able to have an impact in those young Marines lives that I worked with. So I tell you this, you're in the military, you're in God's military, and war is still hell, and you're in that combat zone, and you're fighting, you have to get up and put the full armor of God on. You have to be ready for the day and ready for that battle. And when we see these disciples, what did they do? That very next verse, it says, they didn't stay there, they went to sleep. But after walking those seven miles to get home, and sitting down, and after Jesus was gone, they stood back up and they walked back. I don't know how many walked seven miles. I mean, you know, it's not that long a walk, especially when you didn't have a car back then. You had to walk. You didn't have a choice, or you rode a donkey. But most people couldn't afford the donkey; they were too expensive. But at that hour, they were ready to go to sleep. But they were so excited. They were so thrilled with what happened, that they did not climb in bed, they got up and they walked back to Jerusalem, met up with the other disciples. It's easy for us to lie down, to go to sleep. It's easy for us to be able to say, eh, it's somebody else's responsibility. No, it's not. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Let's be in the battle all the way. Father, I would just ask that you would be with this wonderful congregation. I thank you for the week that my wife and I were able to have for the ministry that is here. And I would ask that you would just watch over each and every individual, that your spirit would rest upon them, that you would have them dressed in the full armor of God, ready for the battle, and that they would be involved. And the joy that is there to be able to serve you is such a privilege. And the joy to be able to see lives changed around us, the miracle of that happening, is so awesome. I thank you for that privilege to be able to serve you that way, and I ask that you would help each and every individual in here to be able to have those same experiences, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.